This is the PSA Podcast, where we deep dive into the business of technology and automation. Hello, and welcome back to the PSA Podcast, where we deep dive into the business of technology and automation. I'm your host, Joe Redding, the Director of Sales and Business Development here at Production Systems Automation, and I'm joined by my partner, Marty Wolf. You can find more information about PSA at www.psasystems.com. Good morning, Marty. How are you doing? Hey, another exciting podcast, Joe. I'm uh, thrilled. I've looked at this gentleman's uh, LinkedIn profile and looked at his website. Holy cow. So I'm looking forward to this discussion. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, so today we'll be discussing the business and technology behind the automation accessories, particularly the ones that are attached to or complement uh, processes being performed by industrial collaborative robots. You know, so that said, I'm, I'm happy to introduce Robert Little. He's the president and general manager of ATI Industrial Automation, and he's enjoyed quite a long career at ATI, and uh, we'll learn a little bit more about that in today's discussion. So how are you doing this morning, Robert? Uh, very good. Uh, looking forward to to the talk here. No, so Robert, do you, I see you have Bob. Is it is it Robert or Bob? Which which do you like uh, to you go by? Bob. Uh, like okay. Oh, okay, okay, great, Bob. So, how's the uh, weather down in Apex, North Carolina? We had our first frost last night, so even uh, North Carolina does suffer from uh, a little cold weather once in a while. Yeah, so I live in Delaware, and we had actually our first frost as well. Um, so I know a little bit about the area down there. I went to school in Catawba College, which is over in Salisbury, North Carolina. So I, I love the region down there. It's it's fantastic, especially this time of the year, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I played golf down at, uh, at Catawba College, and it was fantastic. Wow. So, 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 Bob, you and I have never met before. Um, so I do appreciate you, uh, you know, taking the time, accepting my uh, invitation here to join us on the PSA podcast. Uh, but I do follow you on LinkedIn. Uh, Number one, we're, we're a robotics integrator and we utilize ATI uh, technologies and some of our solutions. Uh, but, you know, you are active on, on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm just interested, like, just to start off, how do you use that platform? Uh, do you use it to stay, like, up to speed on market trends or just to see applications that could use your, your hardware um, or you just, just to keep the ATI name out there? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, I, I, I want to say that uh, pre-COVID, I was not as use, using the LinkedIn profile very often because, you know, I was able to get out and visit customers on a regular basis. You know, I was traveling 50% of my time and I was uh, doing a huge effort to see that I was able to talk to a variety of customers. So we have a very large customer base. The robot market is pretty broad. And so there's a lot to do and there's a lot to see. And then COVID hit, and how do I stay in touch with the customers? Well, LinkedIn was a fantastic platform in order to do that. So I put a lot of effort and time in order to make sure that we can can continue to reach out and have these conversations with customers. It's a different way of doing it. And now what I've learned is that now we're starting to get back to travel. I need to kind of supplement and do both. Um, And... LinkedIn is a is a much faster way uh, of communicating, uh, and, it, and it can be very effective. Uh, it doesn't replace uh, the physical need to, to be in front of a, of, of a person to have these conversations like we're now 
this is sort of a supplement between LinkedIn and, and, and being out there as having this conversation. Sure. Um, but now LinkedIn has proven to me that uh, it's something I should be spending a lot more time with, even now that travel's back. So you found it pretty effective and able to stay in contact with customers in the market? Yes. Uh, again, not as in-depth at, at times as I would like, um, but I can see more things going on at customers now than I ever could have by uh, getting out and visiting. Uh, so within 10 minutes, I can go through my robotics feed and I can see new plant openings, uh, customer app, new app, customer applications that they're uh, fostering. Uh, and that to me is tremendous amount of, of, of new data to me. So that is excellent. Now that might tell me uh, I better get out and, and, and visit or see this you know, physically. Uh, this is important. So it's, it gives me a lot of feedback on uh, further communication I need to do. Well, that's excellent. And I, yeah, I definitely want to expand on that as we go forward through the discussion. But I think it would behoove ourselves to let me introduce the ATI a little bit just briefly, and then I'll let you expand on it a little bit more. But um, you know, since 1989, ATI has been developing cost-effective, state-of-the-art products and solutions that improve robot uh, productivity. They're a world leader in developing numerous robotic accessories and robotic end-of-arm tooling, and their products can be found in thousands of successful, successful installations and applications around the world. So to learn more about ATI Corporation, you can visit their website at www.ati-ia.com. That's www.ati-ia.com. So just wanted to get that out there. So yeah, let's expand a little bit more about, you know, what you were talking about, uh, you know, getting out there and, and seeing your customers, you know, you're, you're seeing that shift right now, uh, now that COVID has kind of passed and you're, and you're able to get out into the marketplace. So um, how, how do you guys typically go to market? Do you have a sales organization that's out in the field or is it, you know, Bob, is it just you or uh, what, what's that like within the organization at ATI? Yeah. Well, we have a pretty substantial uh, sales organization. I have outside people um, that are interacting directly with our customers. Um, we do not use a distribution system. We sell direct. We found that the robotics market needs that uh, direct attention in order to get problems solved. Uh, in addition, we have a really solid uh, application support staff that is uh, uh, engineers that are able to get down and dirty with the higher, some of the complex uh, work where the sales staff uh, needs assistance and uh, they'll get out to the customer site as necessary. And then finally, we have an inside sales staff that is extremely well-educated on, on the product and can serve the customer. So I got three layers here, outside, inside, and application support. Okay, and it's pretty substantial, yeah. Joe, if I can jump in. So uh, sure. I think I saw it on your website, Bob. Um, I think I'm maybe on the video on your website, you, you say custom jobs. We love that. <laughs> I guess that's kind of maybe unique, or maybe not in the robotics world, but you love custom mm -hmm. jobs. Why is that? Because there's such a need? Why, why do you love custom jobs? People may not realize this, but I almost feel like the robot market has not gotten out of its you know, childhood yet. Mm. And what I mean by that is, is as we're evolving – into applications, robots are beginning to start to penetrate. 
um, they require uh, products to change. And if you're not willing to change, you can't get into that new product atmosphere. Let's take the logistics market. You know, 10 years ago, uh, you know, no, you know, there, there was not a lot of robot arms going into the logistics. It's a new market. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, now you're starting to see a much more high, highly uh, prevalent area. It's still very young. But that might require, as an example for us, we make robotic tool changing. That might require a different type of tool changer for a robot that is in a packaging environment. And in a packaging environment, we need to uh, make a new product. So if I'm going to be in a logistics market, I have to be willing to orient my product towards that market. Mm-hmm. And that's why we're constantly looking. And, and robots are always opening up these new ideas all the time. Um, the, the robot market is, is reaching into so many different areas. And you saw through COVID how uh, critical it was in the medical uh, supply area. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, you know, hey, uh, th- this is an, th- it's, it wasn't that the market was new, but it needed to expand rapidly. Mm-hmm. So, yes, customization is really a product updating to the market is how I look at it. Okay, hmm. and, and and it could be like a product that you already have in your portfolio, but does it need a, a tweak here or there just to make it more viable for that particular new application? So you you, you talk about logistics and and distribution, and maybe like order fulfillment. Um, we we're looking yes. right now at a number of applications in that particular market where, when, when you're looking at a, a distribution, logistics, or order fulfillment, a lot of times the end of arm tools may need some compliance because it's the products that you're seeing mm-hmm. may not always be what we call known. Okay. could be very diverse. And, and there's a lot of solutions out there yes. now where you're, you're picking to order. So a robot may go into a bin and need to pick products out of a bin in order to fulfill an order. And maybe that end of arm tool, because you're going into a bin may need some compliance on that end of arm tool. Um, and you make those type of, of uh, end of arm tool solutions where the, the end of arm tool can be compliant. It could have like maybe some force sensing. Um, and, and, and again, we're looking at, you know, to ATI for solutions like that. I, I know my team is actually looking in the catalog uh, for solutions like that. So, yeah, you guys are well ahead of other particular uh, companies and OEMs in the market for, for that type of uh, application. Yes. And I will say sometimes the jobs are simple and sometimes they're highly complex. I mean, just the other day, customer said, hey, look, uh, I want to uh, get into using robots to for, um, you know, um, food handling. Uh, it was specifically slaughtering. And uh, we said, OK. And we had to redesign a product pretty substantially uh, with, you know, not just using stainless steel, but we had to make sure that there were no outside holes that could collect bacteria. Mm -hmm. So we had to completely redesign the product. It was a more substantial, you know, design uh, uh, job. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if we want to be in that kind of business, robots are moving into it. And I I clearly see uh, the need for robots to be in in food preparation. That's what we had to do. 
Okay. So you, when, when you get an application like that, somebody comes to you, was it an end customer or a system integrator that comes to you and says, I have this idea. Uh, do you have a solution for that particular process? And if you don't, do you take an internalized look at it to say, what's the market potential uh, in order for us to put this engineering into that product in order to make it market ready? Absolutely. Any good company you know, has to take a look at their resources and, um, and use them wisely. So we always take a look at, uh, at the benefit of the engineering that we're going to perform for the long term. And we will do it if it, if it makes sense. In most cases, you know, has, the answer has been yes. Uh, we've been very aggressive about creating a product portfolio and upgrading it and improving it and expanding it over the last 30 years. Fantastic. So let, let's take a little step back, uh, Bob, because as I mentioned prior, you've had a fairly long journey and, and a nice career here at ATI. Um, you started back in 1989. So is that really, did you start at ATI when ATI was founded? Yes, I was one of the, one of the founders of, of the company in 1989. And, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, from a startup perspective, I, I lived it. And, um, you know, so you know, I, every, every startup has their own story, you know, um, you know, are, are you going to, are you going to survive? Are you going to make it? And we went through, you know, that startup period as well, uh, where we're trying to create a market and, um, and, and, and push through, uh, we had really almost no funding. So we had, we had little, little to go on. So, you know, it was a bread and water event at the beginning. Um, and, um, but we got, we got very good at what we were doing. And uh, we finally uh, started getting substantial customer orders uh, within about five years of our being in business. And then we just grew it from there, one step at a time. But it really gave me a lot of insight of how customers were thinking at the time about robotics. And, you know, the robot market has evolved. In the 80s, it was flashy, um, but the robots' capabilities were, were lacking. Mm -hmm. It was over-promised and, uh, and under-delivered. So we had a robot recession. Uh, in fact, we had a robot recession when we started business at ATI. <laughs> and, and, and then we came out of the robot recession with robots now were starting to meet the promises uh, that they, they were. But it took it a long time for uh, customers to get past, you know, the, uh, un the uh, over-promising. Um, so uh, the 90s were, 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 were a slow growth period, but a growth period for the robot market. Uh, and then um, we kind of went into a malaise in the uh, early 2000s where the robot market um, wasn't hardly growing at all for mm -hmm. a period of time. It was flat. Mm -hmm. And it had these spikes up and spikes down. And it wasn't until um, the 2008 recession that the robot market spiked, and had a clear, mm -hmm. definable year-over-year -year growth pattern. Um, and, hasn't, and, and, and then that, it, robots went into a, uh, another robot recession in 2018. Um, 2019 before hitting COVID, and that uh, a lot of that is that there is uh, 
been a recharging of the of the automobile market, or I say vehicle market in mm -hmm. total uh, for electrical. Uh, and uh, now that we're on a new growth track, uh, but beyond uh, automotive, we're starting, we've substantially seen other applications play more important roles and, and medical and logistics are two areas that we see uh, uh, substantial growth. Sure. So you, you've looking back, uh, I started in the uh, I, I said robotic industry probably back in 2003 myself, mm -hmm. and um, it was more in the arc welding side of it. And then as I when I joined ABB Robotics in 2008, that was right right at that time period where you saw you know that uh, yeah. that recession time period. Uh, and it was pretty tough, but, but back then it seemed like the focus was really on automotive, right? I mean, it was, you would see the ebbs and flows in the robotics industry as the, as the automotive trends tended to ebb and flow with the need to yes. do programs and such. Then, you know, as you mentioned, after, after the 2008, there became a surge in which you could really start tracking robot trends and you saw the general industry really starting to play a more important mm -hmm. role in industrial automation, particularly to robotics. And, and therefore, I think that's probably when your market really tended, I would say, would have blossomed because now you get into so yes. many more different applications that you guys could take a look at, correct? Yes. And that, and that is and what we are good at because we went back to this ability to change the product or customize it. We are able to go after those trends. Uh, much more rapidly, and uh, and we benefited from that. Yes. Yeah, great. I um, I'm interested, and and Bob, that was a, that was a somewhat of a challenging road. What kept you at ATI? How did you keep the faith through all those ups and downs? Well, like, like I said, in the startup period, the first five years um, was a bread and water event. I think my mentality at that point had it a more youthful age than I am now was that I could always get another job some other time. I'm young and I, I, I just, I just had a, I was willing to take on high risk because I always felt like I'll, I'll never get to the point where, you know, um, I'm going to lose my life savings. Well, you're okay saying I'm not, worried about losing my life savings is all all you have is a thousand dollars right you know i got you you're, right if you're an older gentleman who has a million dollars in their 401k and you don't and you're and you're gonna lose your life savings in your 60s yeah that's extremely high risk yeah that's the benefit of doing a startup and taking these high risks when you're young yeah um that and Either, either you take the high risk when you're young, when you have little to lose, or you take the high risk in that you're willing to lose some substantial money, but it, but because of a certain amount of, of uh, wealth, you're, you're able to afford it. It's one mm -hmm. way or the other, but that's the kind of risk that you have to be willing to take in a, in a startup atmosphere. Yeah. yeah. So you're, great in, you're in this, yeah, it is absolutely great advice. And, and you went into this startup. Um, did you come in with a, a group of individuals that you knew? Uh, to start the company, or is it just you? Yeah, we started. We started uh, our employees. Our first, you know, we first started. We had ten employees. So I had uh, uh, it was a total of six partners together who had ownership in the company, and I knew them. But 
I got to know them a hell of a lot better than I did prior to ATI. When 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 you're in an environment where um, each of you are, are suffering, you know, through you know your daily activities, you bond together very tightly. Uh, or the opposite happens. It's like yeah. a magnet. Either you bond together tightly, or you throw each other out. And so the bottom line is we, after five years, we were left with three partners okay. out of six. Yeah, And then, and then so those three partners it. stuck with us together forever. I mean, for, through the life of, you know, of, yeah. of ATI until my two other two partners finally got old enough and retired. Yeah. Okay. So is that how you matriculated up through the organization yourself? I mean, obviously you're there in the startup and in your, but now you're president GEM, yeah. you know, so you focused initially more on the engineering because that was your background and, and then, then into sales, right? Because you understood application yeah, I, and, and now you're doing everything. <laughs> I think the bottom line is, and again, we're back to the startup atmosphere. You do what it takes. And if you don't, you don't survive. So what does that mean? Well, it meant that I had to become a purchaser. I had to become a salesperson. I had to become a um, secretary. Uh, I had to become uh, a promotion um, a person. And I mean, that is advertising and getting the word out. I had to do all these little functions. And the benefit of that, of course, is that you, you learn all these different functions. So when you became, you eventually become in charge of the company, you can very well uh, uh, give good leadership direction if you've done the job that the person you're talking to. Excellent. That's the benefit. The weakness is, is that when you're doing a little bit of everything, you're not doing, you don't have any expertise in one area that you can be focused on. Um, so eventually what I did was I, I pulled myself out of engineering and I focused on product management. And I did sales um, and uh, I did uh, marketing and, and I left, I tried to leave as much to the responsibilities of engineering to somebody else and uh, operations to somebody else. So eventually I formed and, and, and created and fostered those other environments more, more directly to, to other people's responsibilities. Great. But not in the short term, in the, in the startup period. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't like that. How many employees does the ATI have today? Over 400. Uh, and wow. we're owned by wow. a, a company. Uh, wow. We're owned by Novanta. Um, and Novanta, you know, is I, I, over 3,000 employees. Wow. So yeah. we're owned by a larger corporation. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, we're pretty substantial uh, company, we serve the world. And yeah. uh, so I have operations and partnerships in a variety of countries. Oh, yeah. Wow. Okay. Uh, well, I, I can't let this go, go ahead, Marty. Sorry. No, no, but go I can't ahead. let this pass. I have to ask this question again. You put something out on LinkedIn and somebody's liable to see it, Bob, you know, and, yeah. <laughs> and so the point, right? <laughs> I, I've, I've, that's the point. That's exactly right. Uh, but I, I always like to ask this question when I see somebody with uh, the military experience that you had, 82nd Airborne Division, U.S. Army, paratrooper for the finest Army division in the world. Yes. How did that prepare you for 
your business life for your leadership life? How did that prepare you? What what role did that play? Yeah. It played it played an important role in my mindset. And what it did is especially in a startup mode when you're you know you're eating bread and water and you have little to go on. Well, you know, the military life is like that. Military life can be very difficult at times. Uh, uh, it was very mentally and physically a difficult time period for me. Um, and um, I learned a lot from that. And I learned most important to rely on myself to assure that I will do the right things, mm. uh, even in times of problem. Mm. And, and that's the hard part. Everybody says, I know what the right thing is and I, I want to do it uh, until you are stuck in a situation of almost like life and death. And now, now doing the right thing doesn't seem always the easy path. Yeah. And, and, and what do I mean by that? I mean, like, for example, if we're having a customer issue and, you know, we need the customer to pay us, but we didn't serve the customer, you know, and the customer has a valid point that they shouldn't pay us, the right thing to do is to go to the customer and say, what do we need to do to address this problem? I'm not going to ask you to pay me. I'm going to, I'm going, my responsibility is to get what you paid for first before I ask you to pay me. Mm -hmm. And that is the right thing to do. But when you're suffering, you don't have any mm -hmm. money, right? And, 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 and you need that money to just survive. Are you going to do the right thing? And my military, my military background told me, do the right thing, take the hit, get what the customer wants and the payment will come. Mm -hmm. Don't put one cart before the other. Uh, that, so that was very helpful for me. And that's why there's 400 employees. And that's why ATI is the company it is today. That's why they's part of a bigger company right yes. there. That sums it all up right there. Okay, I'm done. That was all I needed to hear, Bob. <laughs> I'm sorry. Back to you, Joe. Yeah, no, that, that's that's very interesting. And and I'm sure because of that also helped foster what your culture is today within your organization, uh, kind of embedded into everybody's mindset. Is, is that correct? Uh, you try, but uh, let's be honest. When you're bringing new employees to your, your company, you have a certain culture that you're, you're, you're kind of orienting and pushing for the lesson I've learned is everybody's an individual. Uh, I didn't, I, 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 people didn't have four years in 82nd airborne like I did. So, uh, everybody has, uh, has a different mentality. We try to hire to a, what we call the qualifications of what we want, not just for doing your job, but how you should treat others, including most importantly, the customer. So we do focus very much on, on the customer, and we try to push that to every employee. Um, but I have to reflect in, in this day and age that everybody has a different way of approaching that. I'm very respectful to how my employees orient to get the job done. As long as they're fair and their, their ultimate goal is to serve the customer, if you want to take a different way of doing that, I can be very open to your new, your new ideas and new, and your new strategies, and and that might include just a different way of doing doing your work. Mm. Yeah, that's a great leadership approach for sure. Um, yeah, we have three locations in 
and there's you know different individuals from those different locations because they're different parts of of uh, you know Pennsylvania and and trying to keep everybody mm -hmm. you know on the on the critical path to taking care of the customer first and having that mindset, but yet giving them some autonomy to have the responsibility to use their own mind and make their own decisions within the core responsibilities and goals of the company. I think that's very important. Yes. Yeah. So that's great. Let's get into a little bit about the, the technology, uh, you know, what ATI really has to offer and, and how you differentiate yourself with your technologies from other competitors that you have in the industry. Because I know you have some distinct differentiation. Mm -hmm. So I'd like for you to explain those. From the very beginning, I said to myself, we have to make the best engineered product. Okay, how do I do that? Um, so I, I pay attention to what the customers want. I look at what they're doing and I go, oh, you know, if it has this feature, customers are going to have less time to get it installed. Oh, if they have this feature, they can do this extra item. Oh, if they do. And so I just kept looking what customers were wanting and not wanting, by the way. And um, then I would go back to engineering and say, this is what we need to do. This is how we have to orient the product. It's got to be stronger here, um, but it's got to be cheaper over here. And um, and we we orient we that's what we did. We focused and oriented the product specifications to meet or exceed what the customers want. And we tried our best to get ahead of the game. That is, we we're trying now. Once we started to learn the customers, we were trying to engineer a new product based on that philosophy, even before the customer had a chance to even tell us what they wanted. Mm -hmm. I was taking a step ahead and going, I know this is what you're going to want because mm -hmm. based on my past experience and we hit that more right than wrong. Mm -hmm. um, of course, when you hit it wrong, uh, you have to be willing to, to pull back and say that was a mistake. You just need to hopefully have those a lot less than the, than the positives. So the product has been focused and oriented to the customer needs. Uh, and as far as the competition goes, they're always, I'm, Hey, you're, Mr. Competitor, you're, you're always open to redesign your product to fit and improve upon what the customers need. Um, so you can always take that step. Um, uh, over the last 30, 30 years, that has not been the case. And uh, so we've been, we've managed to have, you know, the best product in tool changing, the best product in six axis force sensing. Mm -hmm. We have new product lines in material removal where there really isn't much in the way of competition. So we, that's not a competitive issue um, for our sander and, you know, our deburring tools. Yeah. Yeah. We're actually looking at a couple of projects right now that um, we're going to be reaching out you know, for some assistance from you in the, in the very near future for some deburring and, and material removal. So uh, yeah, kudos to you. Uh, do you guys own the whole process from, from design to manufacture? Um, you have the equipment internally to do all that, or do you, you know, subcontract out any of the manufacturing? Uh, we, we, we do have most everything we need in-house, um, but we do have some vendors. And in the vendors, uh, we typically, you know, anything um, electronic parts and stuff like that, mm -hmm. you know, we're getting in. Um, we do some machining in-house, but a lot of machining we do rely on a partnership with about three, four key machine shops in the, in the, within a, a, dry, a short driving range of where we are. Okay. So 
I do rely on partnerships. Um, I, that is companies, uh, I go to them and I'm with them for decades, not years, decades, because mm-hmm. we treat them right. They treat us right. And it's a partnership. And sure. so we have, we have that philosophy, not just by the way, with vendors, but also with, with partnership, uh, with other companies that we work with. Some, some companies are so, we're so close to, I don't even consider them customers anymore. I consider them partners and, and, uh, uh, and we fostered, we foster that very highly. And that again, doesn't go over years. It goes over decades. Yeah, that's excellent. So your, your partners, your customers, when you say customers, are you talking uh, direct end user customers or are you talking system integrators like a PSA or everything? I think everything. When you deal with the robot market, uh, the end user who uses the product is very, very important. The integrator who supplies that is very, very important. The robot company that supplies that, that company is very, very important. The person supplying the conveyor, even though I, I'm not selling to them, is very important. So if there was something that I could do to help the conveyor company, for example, you know, and they asked for my help and it was something I could help them with, I would help them because we're all in partnership here to get the solution. And so every step of the way, I look at at, at, at these companies that we're all, we're all in cahoots, right? Hmm. You know, whether that's FANUC or ABB robots, um, the, the people who dress the robots like, you know, Leone, for example, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and the integrator who puts it all together we all are here to get to the solution for that end user. So we're, those are my kind of partnerships, right? That's, that's where I start to look at, at, at partners. It doesn't mean you bought the product from me. It might mean that you're influencing the, the, the end result and therefore you're important to me. Oh, excellent. Yeah. That's pretty refreshing to know that um, you're a company that can be, you know, held accountable for not only your solution, but yet be willing to, you know, put yourself out there and add some assistance to the overall solution, uh, so that at the end of the day, it's it's a it's a successful one, and and that's yes. that's very important. Yeah, thank you for that. Uh, and and yeah. listen, we'll if, we'll certainly take advantage of that if if the time comes when it's necessary to reach out to you know your team, you know, for that assistance uh, and your expertise. Absolutely. If you came to me and you says, you know, hey, I, I'm using a such and such robot um, and uh, it doesn't have the feature I need, you know, would, would you make a recommendation? And I would. I, w- I, would, I would be able to come back and say, this is what we recommend. Um, uh, or I happen to know the person at that robot company. Let me talk to them, you know, because I think there is a feature and you're, you're, you need to, we need to update you on what that robot company can do. All that gets the solution to the end, even though, um, you know, that isn't the ultimate customer. The robot company is not my customer, but robot company is my partner. Great. Marty had another question. Uh, I was just going to make a comment that as I'm listening to Bob, it's, uh, they, they have, they appear to have a long-term view as a port, as opposed to a short-term slash quarterly result. Uh, there's a long-term relationship with, with their vendors and their customers. That's that's the way of what I'm hearing from you, Bob, is that you have a long-term view of it. Yeah, and if we're, you know, capital equipment, that's what we're dealing with here, right? Yeah. You have to have a long-term view. When I talk to my customers, 
sometimes they don't turn to customers for three years. But I got to talk to them now because they got to set their budget and they got to put their planning together. Exactly. And then once it gets into that uh, that feeding mechanism where it eventually gets they get gets funded, uh, it could be substantially years from now. So everything we do today in yeah. uh, in, in robots is really meant for tomorrow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, Joe. Did you get your questions answered, Joe? We good? Yeah. Well. Um... What else yeah, wanna... I, I, I'm pretty good rated, you know, right now. I think this has been a really good conversation to learn, you know, not only about ATI, but certainly, you know, Bob, about yourself and, and uh, your your tenure there and how you started the company and growing through. So as we like to wrap up here, is there a success story that you can share with us, uh, whether it be a, a, a recent uh, uh accessory that you developed or a relationship that you built uh, installation or anything that you want to new technology is there something you'd like to share with us and the listeners well um you know uh one quick story is that um you know we made a conscious decision when uh jpl came to us they said hey we could use your help uh in trying to get on mars so we said, oh, yeah, we'd be, we'd be interested in helping you. We thought that was like a couple years of help. Uh, it went on for 10 years. And, it, and, and, and the whole Mars thing got delayed and pushed out. Well, the point was that we stuck with the program. And it took uh, an enormous amount of, of, of time because JPL's requirements were substantial. And getting out into outer space and then on to Mars was a lot more work than I ever thought it could be. <laughs> and the bottom line is, I finally, I finally had a come to Jesus meeting with, you know, with with, with uh, management, uh, and I and I said, I'm at this point now where I know that we're probably not making money. I mean, JPL's paying paying us, but they're not paying us for profit. I just want to get on Mars. I just want the product to be on Mars. So I don't care what it takes. If JPL tells you to do something that you think doesn't get the product to Mars, do what it takes to get it on Mars. Because there was cases where JPL was hesitant to want us to do something because they knew that it was going to cost extra. I said, just just do it. And so when we had that uh, the Mars launch here a couple of years ago, right in the middle of COVID, that was just absolutely a fantastic highlight to our company, our company, in that our force torque sensor was on that flight. It landed on Mars and started producing data for the little people don't know this, but there's a there's an internal robot arm inside the rover. And people can't see it, so it doesn't exist. But in that arm is a force torque sensor, and that force torque sensor is helping make decisions on what that arm should be doing. And that was our product. That was our success. And it was an enormous uh, effort that the bottom line came down to. You know, it wasn't a profit for profit thing. It was a matter of just doing what was the right thing. And we did it, we accomplished it, huge success. Yeah, so now you're you're number one, number one on earth, number one on Mars. That's yeah, great. <laughs> oh, awesome. Uh, so, uh, so Bob, Bob, how does uh, 
how do our listeners get a hold of you uh, if, if they need to reach out? Well, uh, you know, they're, they're welcome to um, uh, give me a shout out on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm under Robert Little um, with ATI Industrial Automation. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn and I'll be glad to uh, give me a ping and I'll be allowed to give it, give a shout out uh, for you. Uh, I'm, I have a very large LinkedIn uh, family and I'd love to add, add you to it. All right. Fantastic. Right. And, and what's that website again for you? Uh, www.ati-ia.com or just Google uh, robotic tooling or robotic end effectors and our name will come up uh, in that top 10 list. Oh, excellent. Fantastic. What a great conversation. Yeah, Bob, thank you very much. I appreciate thank you, you. Uh, joining us this morning. Thanks a lot. And uh, we'll be talking to you soon. Thank you. Look forward to it. All right. Cheers. I'll see you. Bye. Thank you for listening to the PSA BizTech Podcast. The PSA BizTech Podcast is a production of Production Systems Automation. More information on this podcast and PSA can be found at PSASystems.com. That's PSASystems.com.